Campfire. Fireside Chats. This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome campers to this week's Fireside Chat. Just a couple of quick announcements, and then we'll get to this week's guest. Patreon.com slash Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. Choose the tier that best suits your preferences, and get access to exclusive and discounted merch, behind-the-scenes looks at the writing and editing process, two weekly shows, Lights Out, which is an exploration of short horror, and Midweek Weird, a 40 and News update. We have a couple of bigger monthly shows in the works as well. Now, in addition to all of this, you can get monthly swag bags filled with cool campfire merch. So what are you waiting for? If you want the whole world to know that you're a diehard camper, go find the link in this episode's description or go through our link tree on any of our socials and check out our merch store. Stickers, t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, all with the fantastic design work by Jonathan Dodd, Easton Hawk, and the Crescent Hair. While you're in that link tree, tap on the Discord button and come join the community that we're building. Our Discord is a place where we can connect with all of you on a more personal level. So get over there and join the fun. This week, we were graced with the presence of one of the most talented artists on the scene today. Easton Hawk is a fascinating creative, a brilliant drummer, and the mastermind behind our Stardust Ranch t-shirt, whose childhood obsession with monsters slowly grew into the incredible approach to creature pieces that his fans have come to know and love. In this interview, we discuss what it was like to be an art kid struggling against the confines of a small-town education system, coming up in the same Indiana hardcore scene, and how that background has supported his goals as a professional working artist. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, Easton, thank you, first of all, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We've, I don't know how you like slipped through the cracks for the first few months. Like, I've been waiting patiently. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm sure for you, you're like watching like artist after artist come on and and talk, and you were probably like, "What the fuck, dude?" Well, I did make you wait for your uh, t-shirt design uh, like three months longer than <laughs> you were supposed to. So I figured that this was just due. Oh man, I guess we're even now. Hey, yo, I, I'd say so. Maybe not. You guys paid me. You guys have. This is a free thing, technically. So that's that's fair. That was my bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm a I know I'm a bastard. So <laughs> it was honestly, um, of course, anytime you have to wait for anything, it's frustrating. But it was worth the wait, dude. Like, yeah, I'm glad. I was hoping that uh, you at least sold a few of them by now. But. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's one of my favorite designs we've ever had done seriously like yeah thank you i love uh jonathan's design pretty much anything i was on uh, i was on another show last night and uh was singing the praises of jonathan so i feel like that's going to be my theme anytime i brought on a podcast (laughs) just to uh do a spotlight five minutes on jonathan dodd you and like every other artist i've ever talked to 
Like everyone yeah. seems to be like everyone's so enamored with John. Oh, he's like he's the dude. Yeah, There's, I can't I can't say a single bad thing about John. Agreed. He's short. Agreed. I'll, I'll take that back. <laughs> he I'll is say he's short. short. <laughs> I, dude, that's funny because like you've become the measuring stick for me and pictures from conventions <laughs> like to determine whether you know how like short people are and I'm blown away by how many people in like this scene are like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, yeah I was uh, I, I'd have to go through my Instagram I was just talking to somebody that made an observation that everybody at Bigfoot conferences barely grazes like five nine five ten so i said <laughs> there has to be some sort of conspiracy in there and there has to be a correlation between like belief variability to your height <laughs> maybe um maybe it's just uh that's why they like admire bigfoot so much because it probably it yeah, aspirations to be but, eight yeah. feet tall yeah, yeah. absolutely so it's like uh moth boys also uh measure everything by shaquille o'neal Yes, so, by Shaq's. Yep, your distance is, is based on Shaq. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's like 7'2". Right. I mean, Last time I checked. You are certainly not 5'7 or 5'8". You're how no, tall I'm 6'4". Okay. So, for you, like an 8-foot creature, you're like, yeah, I guess yeah, that's kind tall. But I, I have a chance. Mm-hmm. I might, I might be able to get out of it. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I I was most recently I was looking at pictures. I think it was Withville. Mm-hmm. Were, were you at, at Withville? Yep, I was at Withville, yeah, and then I was at um, uh, Kecksburg last weekend. It was like every picture I saw of you with somebody. <laughs> it was like, oh, they're these are really short people. And yeah, but, but technically they're average sized people, and then there's I, I suppose. The, so, see, I never. I can't buy. I, I can't buy pants in store. So, I mean, the joke is technically on me. But. <laughs> yeah, I um, because like Ryan and I both are like right about six foot, like six foot okay. six one. Yeah, perfect. And, like, right. That's always seemed very normal to me. You know what I mean? But like, no, we just keep growing. I can only imagine what the future is going to look like. Right. I was listening to, I re-listened to the last podcast's series on Jack the Ripper pretty recently, and yeah. um, they talked about how the average height of everybody in the 1800s London was uh, like 5'5". Five, five. Yeah. So, I can only imagine what it would be like if I showed up there today. Right? <laughs> yeah, you'd probably be in a sideshow. Yeah, probably. They'd take me down like Gulliver's Travels. Right. Quarter me in the street. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's where the like top hat, the tall top hat. Oh, absolutely! From. It was definitely was a, so tiny. a compensation accessory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's. I think. Yeah, I remember that them talking about that on that because Henry had some great bit about you know how he would have fit right in. Oh, absolutely! You know, like, He's five seven. He would have been. He would have been a good yeah. uh, a good bachelor back then, right? Everybody's looking for a tall man. Most eligible tall man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so one of the first like one of the first things that 
I sort of like connected with when we first started talking is like I we did, we never really knew each other before, but we kind of both came up in the same music scene, just a right. little, with a little time difference, I think. And I'm I'm sure at one point we would probably we had probably been at the same venue seeing the same local bands. Almost certainly. You know, during 2008, 2010, somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah. Around Indiana. Yeah, because you're only... You're, I mean, you're only a little bit north of me, and... Yeah, I'm originally from Kokomo. Yeah, see? So, yeah, same neck of the woods, technically. Yeah, and the scene that I, like, was always a part of was kind of contained. One of the borders was Kokomo, right? So it was, <laughs> like, Kokomo, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis... Right. Like yeah. that whole region. Yeah. Um, jurisdictions. Yeah, exactly. Um, but my like real time of like being out like, you know, three, four nights a week playing shows and stuff was like 2005 to 2009. Okay, right. That time period. So I think there's a little overlap yeah. there. How old are you? 35. Okay, I'm 27. Yeah. So, while you were probably hanging it up and going into mosh retirement, I was I was still yeah right in the thick of it. Still going. Yeah, I I hit mosh retirement about five or six years ago. Oh yeah. man! Wow, you you lasted I held on. I did. Yeah, really. Yeah. I feel like I, I was did. done before high school was over. Oh man. I was still like throwing <laughs> spin kicks when I was like 26. <laughs> it was a liability. Yeah. I, I have stick arms and stick legs. That's fair. So it was either I was going to hurt somebody or I was going to, you know, hurt myself. Yeah. And force myself into retirement. That definitely, that definitely happened from time to time. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a good streak in Kokomo where um, people were, purposely like doing wrestling moves and breaking tables at a banquet hall that would host shows so we weren't allowed to go back there after that after like the third one. Oh, that's a bummer uh, yeah that was a that was the beginning of the end right there there were always some asshole kids that would you know ruin it for everybody yeah it was between i think it started with kids bringing pogo sticks oh yeah and and you know falling and spraining ankles and then it escalated to intentionally breaking property of the venue. So yeah. It was going to happen one way or another. This sounds like every show ever thrown in Anderson. <laughs> so how long have you been playing? Because you're a drummer, right? Uh, yeah, and, and that's it. I've dabbled in piano, but it's uh, it's been all drums for about 15 years. I started when I was 12 for middle school band and played in. Uh, concert band and marching band and jazz band all through high school. So, yep, about 15 years. And you jumped into, like, being in bands while you were in high school? Yeah, I didn't get a drum kit until the junior year of high school. My parents finally uh, allowed it. So that's when I started writing music with guys and uh, playing pretty regularly from there. Nice. What was your first? What was your first band called? <laughs> uh, bullets terrible... over Broadway. Yeah, bullets over bullets Broadway. Broadway. Yeah, we were going through uh, classic movies, and that was the 
the title we wanted to rip because we all love the Devil Wars Prada. So we're like, oh, you can just take names from things that are already established. Yeah. So, uh, it was between Bolts Over Broadway and uh, Eyes Without a Face. But uh, Excellent. I'm pretty sure that is a... I want to say that's a Billy Ocean song. I believe it is. Okay, so yeah, we didn't want to have that moniker of yeah. people thinking we were taking Billy Ocean songs because we were tough and we were writing breakdowns. So that's funny. <laughs> the, um, yeah, no one, no one really recognized. No one seemed to recognize the fact that following the Devil Wears Prada um, model also instantly puts you like ten, like fifteen thousand search results down. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. So, and they've talked openly about how much they regret the band name. Yeah, and you know they can't really rebrand now. They've established for uh, almost twenty years now. Right. Oh man, don't say that. I know. That freaks me out. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> yeah, they're still at it too. I'm not gonna lie. I I listen to the singles as they come out. They're fine. Yeah, but yeah, that's they're, how they're, they're all releasing stuff now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's all like the last band that I actively was in and like gave a shit about was like twenty. It was in like twenty sixteen. Oh really? It was when yeah, that was when Ryan and I stopped <laughs> playing. It was in twenty sixteen. Um, yeah, I'm I'm starting to slow down nowadays. You know, I've got a full time job and a family, and um, trying. I started doing the art stuff as like a full on side gig last year. So, um, starting to come around to, you know, I, I like making art more than I like tearing down my gear and traveling and setting up my gear mm-hmm. and playing and tearing down my gear and traveling yeah. back home, setting up <laughs> my gear. So, um, yeah, it's starting to, I still love drums and I'm a big gear head and I love, you know, shifting through sweet water, um, all the time, but, yeah, it's getting to the point where it's just not as fun as it used to be for me. Yeah, I get that for sure. I I haven't turned on my guitar amp in like a year. <laughs> Jeez, you should probably warm like, it up a little bit here and there, right? <laughs> yeah, I just I worry about those tubes. But um, yeah, you should probably give that a good yeah. fifteen minute warm up every week or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, it, the stuff just sits. It's like. I'm I'm so focused on other stuff, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. Whenever I want to play guitar, I just like pull out the acoustic and and play that because mm-hmm. it's easier and it's quieter. And yeah, I love you know. I love when you post covers and stuff on uh, Facebook. Thank so you. At least you're still doing it here and there. Yeah, I play a little bit. Um. Yeah, but I. Yeah, are you like are you in a band now? Yeah, technically, um, technically, I have three projects that uh, have been active uh, throughout. You know, everything is pre-pandemic and post-pandemic now. So, uh, right. yeah, three projects that I've been actively like playing shows with recently. Nice. Um, yeah, there's a Tuesday Atlas, which is like my main project. It's very indie rock. Me without you. Manchester Orchestra, brand new Osmos type stuff. And then um, Dormant, which is like an instrumental prog rock, math, math core type thing. Mm-hmm. 
And then um, I was filling in for a band called Death Tax up in Fort Wayne. That's like uh, it's a chaotic hardcore. Like every time I die, the chariot, uh, stuff like that. You just named like three my three favorite genres. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Yeah. So, and I and when I was in high school, I learned to play drum kit through jazz band. So applying like yeah jazz roots into all that music is a lot of fun. I mean, you literally named like three of my favorite bands. <laughs> oh yeah, every time yeah. I die is always yeah, yeah. gonna be my favorite band. Yep, every time I die is in there. Me without you. Yep. <laughs> they just they just did their farewell their farewell show in Indiana. Uh, I saw that. It was like Tuesday, ago, yesterday. Yeah. I had um, like a million friends who went, and I'm like, I have five <laughs> children. Yep. Um, yeah, sacrifices, man. It's yeah, that that's crazy. That's like an end of an era. I remember seeing I seeing me without you at like Cornerstone so many Jeez. years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, an embarrassingly large amount of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first time I saw me without you was like 2004. Oh, jeez. Yeah. 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 I couldn't imagine was, playing with the same group of guys for going on 20 years. It's just yeah. insane to me. It's, yeah, same. I mean, I've basically, I basically played music with Ryan from our first band was our first band that actually wrote music. Because, <laughs> of course, we had like lots of pretend bands where we had names and yeah yeah (laughs) and all that but never really did anything but our first real band was in 2000 wow yeah we were 13 yeah jeez that was our first our first band that actually played music we are okay so we grew up we all grew up with parents who played music so like okay and yeah, most helps. of them played together. So okay, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was pretty easy to like get in there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. our first drummer was also was the son of Ryan's stepdad's drummer. Okay. Like, yeah. We you just, guys have a little like built in network. Yeah. It was exactly. probably by design. Yeah. So we played, I mean, there were some gaps in there where Ryan and I weren't in bands together. We were in bands with other people, but like few and far between. Mostly we played together for like 17 years. Wow. Yeah. And you guys don't hate each other. No, it's, it's wild. No, wow. No, he's, he's <laughs> getting married Saturday and I'm the best man. <laughs> yeah. You found the one man. If you guys yeah. can play music together for 17 years. You better be the best man. Right? Yeah. I think it made for a, a solid transition into the podcast, too, because we're just so used to yeah, making things together. Yeah, already have your dynamic established pretty much. Yep. Yeah. It was like, we're already like pretty natural. We came into it already familiar with each other's strengths and weaknesses, you know, and right. like all that, <laughs> all that stuff that <laughs> plagues new shows where they don't really know what right. they are for the first mm-hmm. 40 episodes, you know? Yeah, that's uh, probably a good strategy. You guys didn't even know it. Yeah. 
get, get acquainted and figure out what pisses each other off. And yep. <laughs> we definitely know that. <laughs> um, anyway, were you an art kid in high school? I know you said that like you're, um, it just became a side gig like last year, but yeah, you had so, to have always um, been an art guy. Right. Yeah, I was always an art guy, and it was actually forced upon me. Uh, I was telling the story last night. Um, my my parents are very... Um, they're not strict, but back in the day, they you know were trying to figure out how to be parents, and uh, I was a kid that would make a lot of messes and then just go through the house like making messes. Very chaotic, like my kids are today, so came full circle sure. but uh, my parents did a three strike rule eventually where they gave me three chances to like get it figured out I know responsibility and I should be able to like consciously clean up after myself without like being told to every you know, five minutes and I let those three chances slide and I got all of my toys and junk taken away uh, indefinitely and they gave me a pad of paper and pens and um, I pretty much just watched movies, played outside, and drew all the time. Wow! So, uh, it worked That'll out. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, right. So, and my parents aren't like art, artsy people. Like my mom's a good cook, so you could you could say that that would be her like creative outlet. Yeah. And my dad was um, an architect for a little bit, or at least he went to school to be an architect. So okay. he had some some drawing skills but he's more drafting skills yeah he's more of a um, he's more of like a handyman type engineer brain type guy so um, and then my brother isn't artsy at all so it it was definitely um, it was like solely my thing but um, my parents were always you know really happy that that was what I did even though they kind of forced me into it yeah but but yeah, I was yeah. the art kid through high school. I was voted most artistic and all that kind of stuff in the yearbook. Um, my art teacher hated me, though, because, um, one, I would never finish pieces. So I would get, like, 70 to 80% done, and then I would lose all interest. So I would just leave it and turn it in yeah. that way. Um and then I went to the Art Academy of Cincinnati for a couple of years out of high school. And that was a really good experience. But going from Kokomo, Indiana to Cincinnati, Ohio was a big culture shock. And, um, you know, I was 18 and very anxious and angsty. And uh, living down there just wasn't for me. So I, I dropped out in 2015. And then I would do you know, show flyers and band merch and album covers and all that kind of stuff here and there throughout the years. And then the pandemic hit and music stopped for a long time and we didn't know how long it was going to be. So I finally had time to actually like draw stuff that I had been wanting to draw and like start a series of stuff that I had been wanting to do for a long time. So the cryptids cool. finally, finally got to, got to, you know, shine and be my priority for a minute. Yeah, I mean, I do you think that um, never wanting to finish things in high school is that like a perfectionist thing? Or it's yeah, like, it was. Well, I never tried to make it perfect, and that's so that's why it isn't perfect. Yeah, it was definitely a situation where um, 
you know, it's an assignment when it comes down to it. And yeah. um, my art teacher also did this thing where I couldn't just like roll with whatever I wanted to do. I had to like give her a draft of what I was going to do and she would either approve it or turn it down. And I didn't really understand how that would work in like the art world. So yeah. I think I was also losing steam and motivation and we were just constantly butting heads. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It was probably a, it was a, it was a bunch of factors, but yeah, I didn't really like get it together and get like a style down or a process down until um, I went to college. I think that was also probably a, a big reason why yeah, I just lost direction and then just didn't, didn't have any like gumption to want to finish anything yeah i know i went to i went to high school with because i was always the kid who loved art and took like every art class possible Mm -hmm. but i was never the most talented you know i just always liked doing it and um but i went to i went to school with a couple guys who were like incredibly talented but they hated that like the school subject matter wasn't cool enough, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, well, I mean, that's they were used I to drawing like that. they were used to drawing like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac comics and like you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like the the yeah. Whereas I wanted to draw like monsters and yep. like I was very inspired by Tales from the Crypt comics and uh, Tim Jacobus's art and Goosebumps and Alex yeah. Hardy and Skinner and you know, all of that, like, pop art and yeah. um, pop culture-influenced art and just gritty stuff like that. But, you know, I don't I don't care about drawing the still life. Yeah. I don't care about figure drawing that much. So um, I was able to get away with it and, like, put stuff that I was actually interested in to that kind of stuff. Like, um, we had a self-portrait uh, assignment at one point, and I drew myself as the elephant man. Nice. Just, you know made my skull elongated and bony yeah. and crinkly. So I was able to like get away with the stuff I was actually interested in doing, but yeah. um, I, I had to tiptoe into it. And like, like I said, I had to like give drafts and, I, yeah. and it seemed like I was the only one in the class that had to get permission yeah. to do. So I don't know. There was just, it was a weird like dynamic between my art teacher and I in high school. Cause your art teacher knew you were going to turn in some fucked up shit. So, yeah, I think like, yeah, it was going to be anarchy, and you yeah. know how is how are you supposed to grade anarchy exactly. if everybody's doing it? So I understand it to a degree, but she was also a sculpture major, so okay. I don't think she really. My, I, I always just felt like because I was in like advanced two D art yeah. um, for a couple of years, and I felt like maybe she wasn't equipped to be teaching like that kind of stuff, especially yeah. when you recognize that she is the classic those who can't do teach type deals yep and then going from high school art to the art academy's uh, professors are full-time artists and part-time educators which was really cool because i could go see their um i could go see their installations and i can go see their shows and um so you i don't know the the respect is like very much earned rather than just granted for being an educator yeah rather than it being required yeah pretty much by the curriculum (laughs) see i had one of my best friends in high school was 
he's an insanely talented potter. Like, he does wheel pottery, like, and is insanely talented. Um, I'll put his, a link to his stuff in the show notes, too. Like, okay, cool. definitely go check it out. But, like, he, when we were in classes together, we had um, independent study art classes together at the same time. And he was focused on 3D stuff, and I was focused on 2D stuff. And the art teachers there were not at all prepared to teach him anything about <laughs> the wheel. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. So he, he was doing. He had this, the inverse. Like, yes, he would have loved my art teacher. Right, but like, he was doing these like delicate, thin, tiny, like mm-hmm. vases and st- like insane stuff that like, right? You know, professional artists beyond, yeah, beyond yeah. high school. Yeah, work. well beyond when he was like sixteen and seventeen. Um, but yeah, his his stuff is incredible. Um, so yeah, I'm familiar with that that setting because I watched him struggle through that for a long time. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's like uh, looking back, um, it worked out obviously because it, it. I would say it did push me a little bit because I recognized that like even if I lose interest in a project, I have to finish it, especially now in my adult life where this is a side business. Yeah. I, there's, uh, yeah, you know, I, I have deadlines and you, you know, that <laughs> yeah. I extend them and, you know, there's life factors that come into that sure. being a part-time artist. So luckily um, a lot of people that give me, that commission me, um, I know them like outside of, uh, the professional like stratosphere of it but yeah, yeah. so um, yeah it's, it was a weird weird uh, experience in high school knowing that I wanted to go into some sort of art field and knowing yeah. that I was gonna probably go to college for it so it kind of felt uh, like I was being stifled yeah and not being prepared for college like is you know like like it's supposed to be in high school. Yeah. I mean, when you compare though, the like art educations, the art education that was available to us then to what mm-hmm. kids in high school are getting now, it's like the, the kids yeah, now, I, mean, I can't imagine how a talented artist feels stuck in. No, being in stuck the art in a literal now. box. Yeah. Yes. So it's, yeah, I am. Uh, like I said, I was in a high school band, so I'm I'm friends with my band director um, on Facebook, and I'm able to see like how it operates nowadays with the arts being like firmly pushed to the side. Yeah, and, um, I think I might have been in like the last year of high school where everything was like fun and like yeah. I don't know there was there was more there was more importance on it. So yeah, it kind of sucks. Yeah, I recently found out that. The high school that I went, that I graduated from, when I was there, offered, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 different art classes that you could take. Yeah. Which is incredible, right? Yeah, that's that's insane. I think we had eight, maybe. Right. And now, that's that's what theirs is like. It's less than 10. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you went to a much bigger school than I did. My graduating class was like 128 people. That's about how mine was. 
Oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah, I went to a pretty... I mean, I grew up in a town that was smaller than Muncie. Okay, yeah, so yeah, probably Pokemon-sized. Yeah, I, I think a lo- it might be a little smaller, actually. Okay. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood, though. But yeah, it's the way the art programs have shrank over the last, like, 15 years is crazy. Yeah. It's, and it's really I, sad. I went to school... I went to school... Uh, majoring in illustration and minoring in art education because um, at some point during my like subtle feud with my art teacher I decided that um, I think it would be fun to be an art teacher and like do it yeah. the right way so I know that you know this isn't the example of every art teacher out there but um, it definitely made me want to make sure that you know, future kids aren't stymied at every corner. Yeah. But again, it was just me for some reason. <laughs> it's also good, you know, to have that education back up in case it turns out you can't do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm a I'm a printer. So <laughs> I'm a printer and then uh do art on the side and I feel like that's especially having a having three kids, that's the most comfortable yep. uh, I could see it being for a while. So. At least I imagine what, that at some point down the line, I'll probably pursue art as a full-time gig. Um, once I would hope house, so. so. Yeah, I've got about 10 years. Um, yeah. But if, if things go as well as they are right now, um, I, I feel like it would be pretty lucrative if I'm able to put as much time into it as I want to. Yeah, I mean, I look at guys like Sam Sheeran. Oh, yeah, like, exactly. You know, I feel like he's a fantastic example of someone who, I mean, it's his life. Like, yeah, his and, art. And you can tell. Is, and yes. he's, he's like, a, he's just a no bullshit, like, this yep. is my job, this is my grind type of guy. And yeah. his work is, like, iconic at this point, and it, yes. it speaks for itself. So he's he's definitely, like, especially in this subculture, like, yeah. niche group, he's, he's like, the, guy. the gold standard, pretty much. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Along with. Along with John. John yeah, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, Sam did a damn album cover for Doyle. Like, if, that's, that's all I need. I'm pretty sure Rob Zombie. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm a huge Misfits geek. So, like, when I heard <laughs> that he did Doyle's, one of Doyle's solo albums, I'm like, well, that's it. He's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you pretty much, you pretty much know the Misfits. Right. Roxy. Right. <laughs> If Basically, you know, if you know Sam Sheridan. You guys both work on paranormality. You guys are yeah, colleagues. <laughs> exactly, we're colleagues, and he did some stuff for Doyle. So, like, basically, me and Danzig are boys. <laughs> it's coming. He'll, he'll be the next fireside chat. <laughs> oh, man, as long as you can honor the writer, I can only imagine what that guy needs oh. to, to show up for a, a video call. Yeah, like to show a, a list of everything. <laughs> You're going to have to post some. Oh, that's ridiculous. You know, it wouldn't (laughs) shock me. I would like just, I would just as a rib add to his Postmates order, like a couple bags of cat food. (laughs) (laughs) And a photo. Yeah. Get the photo printed from Walgreens and add that to the, yeah. A photo of the, of the cinder blocks that used to be stacked in his front yard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> poor guy 
Man, I mean, that's what happens though when you build this like this character, this caricature yeah. of yourself. This you know is your aura I mean? like, now. You take yeah. yourself way too seriously. And yep, <laughs> dude. I, 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 I would hate to admit how often I go back and watch the videos of him, like those old interviews from the '90s of him, like looking through his book collection and stuff with people. Like, See, that's the thing. When no, I haven't. I <sighs> when. The thing is, those bands and those like rock star personalities, they never even fathom the internet being a thing. So <laughs> yep. they've been they got the mark of the beast with the, that yeah. whole deal. So. They came up having like one hundred percent control over how the public was gonna perceive them. Yep. And that, and that is not the case it's like, anymore. It's like the beginning of the monster squad and they're yes. the whole the whole uh synopsis of you know the scene setting and then yep. they blew it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I feel, I can't help but feel bad for those guys. Especially, I mean, Danzig is like the biggest example though. Like <laughs> he, he created this like dark, like brooding character. And then like, yeah. he didn't realize people were going to be posting pictures of him carrying cat litter out of the fucking pet smart. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Well, I mean, I don't know. There's just I'm not a huge Mis- Misfits fan. I'm not even a Misfits fan. I'm just gonna admit it. Um, but yeah, he just kind of just comes off as a bizarro uh, Undertaker post-retirement. Yep. And basically, yeah, just super normal guy. Yep. That that, that... used to be like the the standard image of punk rock and yep. nonconformity. Oh, oh well. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a bummer. It bums me out the same way seeing like the Undertaker do a straight interview now (laughs) bums me out. I never wanted that. He's Mark Calloway, exactly, (laughs) and nobody ever wanted that. I don't know who told. It's crazy because (laughs) it's crazy because you know there are. Glenn Danzig and like James Hetfield. James Hetfield's like a normal dude. Yeah. Like he's funny and like he's had struggles. I don't know. He's just very, he's much more human to me. Yes. And then uh, Glenn Danzig is just like, he is straight up a character. Yeah. He's but, a I mean, retired his, yeah, character. He was in a, he was in a themed band. So I yes. guess it makes sense. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just weird when the, uh, the curtain to Oz is lifted. And yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting to see the two ways that you could have gone back then. You know what I mean? Because they were all friends. Like Misfits and Metallica would like they came up in the LA scene together. Mm -hmm. Like, and you, I mean, you can see the the difference, right? Yeah, (laughs) it's it's like night and day. Yeah. Oh, the choices we make. (laughs) I I feel like. I don't know. Let's not just talk about misfits for. I could do. I could do <laughs> yeah, like a this is a podcast, podcast. On, on the misfit. But um, so what? One thing I was curious about was, and I because artists always seem to go one way or the other on this. Like at some point, you transitioned from pen and paper to digital. Yeah. Like when did that happen for you, and what was the transition like? So. I still technically do like a mixed media thing. All all of my work technically starts on paper, um, just because I'm terrible at like getting the scaling done on an iPad. And uh, 
So usually it'll start with a, a rough sketch on paper and I'll scan that in and then ink it digitally or sometimes I'll pull out a, like a Pentel pocket brush and do like a rough inking and then re-ink it. But um, the shift to iPad is definitely when, um, you know, I, I have kids and I can't make a mess like I yeah. used to anymore. And I can't like, you know, just leave markers and pens and ink and paint yeah. and out all that stuff. So um, I switched to iPad probably in like mid 2020. And okay. then, um, what was the uh, what was that transition like for you? Like, was it rough at first? So I had been using like a uh, like a Wacom tablet and my laptop. Uh, for a few years before I transitioned into iPad. So uh, I had some experience with digital work and like figuring out layer types and uh, coloring digitally and using halftones and all that kind of stuff. So um, I already kind of had a leg up um, because I I used Clip Studio, which is like Manga Studio or something like that. That was a pretty pretty good software at the time. And then um, I switched to iPad because I have kids and it's just convenient. I can throw it in my backpack and take it wherever I go. And I yeah. have time to pick it up, go to a coffee shop, and pick it up. So uh, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, like mid 2020 is when I started using it more and more and trying to get more familiar with um, Procreate, which is like the yeah. design app at this point. Uh, and you know iPad makes it super smooth and um, being able to draw on the screen opposed to having um, you know a surface and then watching your screen yeah um, it, it definitely helps a ton so it wasn't like a hard transition but um, I do miss like the tangibility I miss having original art to like you know if you commission me to do something you get your like finished piece that i did yeah part traditional part digitally um but yeah it's i don't know i it is comfortable at this point and especially you know i sell prints mostly so uh, being able to format everything in real time and being able to make adjustments um it's just i i wouldn't have it any other way at this point it's just yeah it's just really nice it's a nice luxury to have that's um, and we were talking about Sam Sheeran earlier. There's something that blows my mind constantly every time I think about it. He, a few months back, we were doing a um, a clubhouse room that he was in that was all about artists. It was everyone on the panel was an artist from that did you know cryptids and all that that worked in this niche. And he just mentioned offhand, offhandedly that he does all of his digital art with a mouse. Oh my god! All of it. <laughs> I guess it does make sense. He uh, he definitely like uses textures and, but yeah, it's like it's pretty seamless. I was looking at his prints uh, earlier today. I was going through some stuff I hadn't unpacked yet, and I had a couple of his prints. Uh, and yeah, just like the detail work and the lighting work and like. Everything yeah. is just so like purposeful. Yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why he's the man. The mouse freaks me. That freaks me out, man. 
Yeah, <laughs> he just doesn't use a pencil for any extreme. of that. <laughs> right? It's crazy. Okay, so where did where did like the the paranormal, the interest in the paranormal come in for you? Is it has it always uh, just been the monsters? I mean, I'm definitely more drawn to the monster legends, but um, definitely growing up and watching Unsolved Mysteries with my mom, that was like our thing. Uh, she would let me stay up a little later and we would watch Unsolved Mysteries or like old case files. So that's where I got into like that section of culture. And um, I loved In Search Of, and I loved any like Discovery Channel uh, Bigfoot documentary or like yeah. just anything in that vein. So um, I would definitely say there's probably five or six around the same time that uh, the, you know, clean your room or you get nothing hammer came down and yeah. I started drawing. So drew a lot of uh, the monsters from like Star Wars or drew a lot of Goosebumps inspired stuff. Um, lots of like pirate stuff. I remember I had a big pirate phase because I loved the Goonies. Nice. So um, yeah, paranormal stuff was definitely because of TV and then uh, my grandfather used to live in a house that was pretty secluded um, and had woods all around the like perimeter of it. And uh, around that same time, probably five, six, seven, somewhere in there, I would stay the night over there pretty often. And we would have bonfires in the backyard. And I remember him telling me about Bigfoot and Sasquatch and Hairy Man, feral people uh, stories. And having the reoccurring nightmare of a big, bulky, like silhouette in my in the window of the room I would sleep in there. So, um, yeah, as far back as I can remember, pretty much I've always loved anything in that vein. That's so, awesome. Um, I also picked up. Um, this is probably when I was like nine or ten, but um, rifling through my grandma's uh, books, she had. Um, Strange Stories and Amazing Facts, which is like a Reader's Digest uh, thing. It's like yeah. a compilation of bizarre legends and Amelia Earhart and most haunted pub in England. And then in the right. back, there's also a section of Mothman, Jersey Devil, uh, Bigfoot, the Yeti, um, you know, the, the like yeah. Mount Rushmore cryptids. That's so, awesome. um, yeah, there's always been like a lingering interest in that kind of stuff. So, um, I definitely got more into like the horror sci-fi stuff um, in middle school and high school. And then um, I've been going to the Mothman Festival since like, I think 2017, 2018, wow. 2016, something somewhere in there. So um, yeah, that kind of like rekindled it. Seeing, I remember seeing like Eerie Eric's booth. I remember yeah. seeing Small Town Monsters booth there every year. So um I don't know, that definitely, like, rekindled my, like, love for this kind of stuff and then made me want to pick up, you know, doing my own work and um, blending my love for horror, sci-fi, and vintage posters and cryptids. Yeah. So, but, yeah, it's it's always been a lingering interest. That's... Eric, that's another... He's another, like, gold standard. <laughs> that dude's yeah. a, a workhorse. I yes. was next to him at Kexburg, and he was literally working on paintings at his booth. Um, we had a big rainstorm come through and it messed up a bunch of his paintings. So what'd he do? He went back to his hotel that night and painted more. So, yeah. yeah. That guy, he and Carrie are just powerhouses. Yeah, they're on it. 
for sure. Absolutely. Um, so, like, I remember, I remember when you were working on the shirt for us. I remember you saying, like, "Next time, give me a creature." <laughs> like, uh, yeah, creatures are my thing. <laughs> like, do you have one? Though, do you have like one that you always go back to that you find yourself just like doodling a lot? Like one creature. Um, one creature, definitely like xenomorphs or like face huggers. Not really a yeah. cryptid, but like um, that's definitely like the creature design that I love. I love uh, I love how HR Geeker used like pipe cleaners. I love bones and teeth and yeah. um, like glistening like. Uh, translucent skin and stuff like that so or you can like um, see the sinew under the yeah or yeah. like that or um any of the creatures from the thing um i just love those like i love tentacles and i love yeah like uh, veiny bulbous like deformities and stuff like that so um yeah i would say the xenomorph and facehuggers i definitely am doodling constantly okay um cryptid wise um leading up to drawing the flatwood monster design there was probably like six or seven different prototypes and like avenues i was going to go down before um i did the final draft so i i definitely doodled that quite a bit and i keep one of my favorites of yours thank you yeah that was uh that was definitely the one that i could take like the most liberties to so it was a lot of fun yeah i love the choice um, i love the choice to give it like a a more flowing skirt. Yeah, and that's one of the things I was back and forth with. Should I make it like totally biological? Should I make it totally mechanical? That yeah. I ended up with like the the cyborg or like the mech suit type design. But uh, I love the garment uh, like yeah. description that the boys gave. So, yeah, um, yeah, I liked I liked that the ambiguousness of that legend that you know. There's a I, very finite amount of people that saw it, so but their their descriptions were so different. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely one that I could just like run with it and just do whatever I wanted, pretty much. I'm in my opinion, that's why that one has stuck. Is because yeah, you can take so many liberties with it. You know what I mean? Like, it's a good canvas to like paint whatever story you really want to tell mm-hmm. on. There's like. There's like three main components to it. It had the spade head, it had yellow eyes, and uh, uh, some sort of flowing garment or skirt yeah. or whatever. So as long as you like keep those in, it's a recognizable yeah uh, design. Yeah, and like there are countless artists who have even thrown the like garment by the wayside and given it more of like a solid like Dalek shape. Right, and there. You know I've never played Fallout 76, but I know that Fallout 76 included cryptids um, yeah. a few years ago, and their design for the Flywoods monster I thought was really fun too. Where it's just like, you know, it's like in a baby Yoda cart, yeah. and you know, has like a, a Mister Freeze like dome over its head and everything. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I was definitely looking into that and like different, you know, takeaways from it. In general, do you consider yourself more like a fan of all this stuff, or do you consider yourself a like a true believer? Definitely, definitely a fan. I am more of a skeptic than anything that just has. I I really enjoy like the cultural and the socio the uh, 
the, the psychology behind like urban legends and the importance of like legend and myth making yeah. and that kind of stuff. So it's definitely more of an interest in like the human aspect of all this stuff and especially living in like the age of mis you know misinformation and yep. conspiracy theory i i love i i mean i hate it but i love this right. twist that we've uh that we've gone to where like facts and like actual research just doesn't matter anymore yeah. so i think um you know being in this community it's it's a lot of fun to like lean in so and being the skeptic at these uh events is a lot of fun too because boy do I need some weirdos and I need some people that believe some insane shit dude that's one of my that's one of the things I'm looking most forward to is getting out in the conventions and just talking to people like oh yeah my wife and I love people watching and like you know and it's we don't even get to watch sometimes we have to participate and like just yes and these people into like telling me just it's like especially like QAnon stuff which is like Uh, rampant at these things you should get Yuri Eric on for a fireside chat so he can tell you about his um, all I'm gonna say altercation at Kecksburg wow okay yep he he ran into a loony but the loony gave him money before uh, shit got wacky so okay yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely get him in here while it's still fresh. It's weird. I go back and forth. Like, there are things that I, because I tend to believe that it's more of a sociological phenomenon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I mean, the you hear the some experiencers, very... and it's hard to, it's yeah. hard to not think that they really did experience something you know that's my thing where like this field is very much like it's very romantic in like um you know there are so many people that like claim to have these experiences so i want to believe that there's some like weight and of course not all of them are true but even if one of them is true yeah um that's more than enough for me but i'm very skeptical with it and it's, it's more of the the uh the sociology behind it all but um like the mothman story i i love the mothman legend not even for the mothman himself but i love that it's got like everything i love the men in black stuff i love the strange lights i love the ufos i love mm-hmm. the um i love the premonitions like yep all of that kind of stuff is what makes me and also an entire town experiencing it yeah um also lasting a years. year yeah, an entire year of these experiences that are very well documented yep. by different media outlets, and of course John Keel and Gray Barker. So yep. it's all uh, I I love, and I romanticize like those eras and those flaps and all that stuff. So yeah, um, I'm definitely firmly a skeptic until you know evidence is put in front of me. But I I'm more open to it than I'm yeah. not. I love I love the I love it as a thought experiment. I love to suspend disbelief oh, yeah. and just like l- allow myself just for a little bit to live in a world where maybe it's true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like where it's materially Definitely. true. And I think that's why I like I love deep cut cryptids. I love the one yeah. and done stories like Flatwoods. I love where there's no like you know there's no like longevity to it and there's no 
um, sightings every year. Like, I'm really interested in, like, the, you know, the Chicago Mothman and all that stuff, but I'm much more drawn towards the one-and-done encounters. Yeah. So that's why I... No, I'm... That's why I, I tried to do my first few cryptids as deep cuts. But yeah, I noticed you did the game. indescribable Octoman. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's a Cincinnati area, like Ohio River legend, and that's just like straight up, I think, two days of maybe a dozen people reporting this thing and making police yeah. reports. Um, and I just love that. And never, nobody's making money off of it or anything. Like yeah. it's, oh, I'm making money off of it. But <laughs> it's like, a, <laughs> it's not like a thing that the town is like toting itself on or yeah. like having a festival about. So I really like those really woodwork like really deep yeah uh isolated events yeah that's it reminds me of the um the mud mermaids yeah right Uh, you know it just like just some weird shit happened to a few people one time Mm -hmm. you know and then yeah yeah nothing ever again so yeah Yeah. that seems like how all of indiana's cryptid stories i mean there's a thousand bigfoot stories throughout the state and you know it's all different but um between like the beast of busco you know that was like supposedly the farmer had it there for decades but it was like yeah, one yeah. year of that like yeah. you wouldn't even call it a saga just that they were making the a, legend is pretty tidy yeah yeah so um but between those and the anderson oil pit squids and yeah. blood mermaids like it's all like very isolated one and done events and i the think ghoul snake neat. ghoul snake love the ghoul snake yep I love the ghoul snake. Dude, I would love to see you do a, a version of the ghoul snake. Like it's in the it's in it's on the list. Good. So because uh, that, I've been that wa- could be like really so wanting... dark and Oh man, yeah, big time. I mean it ate Kadaver, so I'm really so. wanting I really want to visit Oxford before yeah. I do that. So it's That'd only cool. you know it's only an hour and a half away. Yeah. So and Lafayette's right there. Lafayette has a cane, a raisin canes chicken, so that's more than enough reason <laughs> yeah, for me to travel it. over there. So exactly. if you and Ryan are ever ever free and want to meet up for a weekend and oh, dude, that would be cool. We should actually snake. do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm gonna write that down too. Yeah, I'm. I'm always down to do like a legend trip. Yeah, that would be fun as hell. So you're definitely not like a flesh and blood nuts and bolts guy, like into the idea of this stuff being like actually materially there. I'm definitely more interested in it being like a um, one of those we co-create the experience type things, yeah. and maybe being a psychological thing or thinning of the veil type stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah, like. Bigfoot, as much as I would like it to be like a biological thing, it's just it doesn't seem like that would be a, an actual possibility with how elusive it's been for millennia at right. this point. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely more that. more inclined to believe in like interdimensional or you know metaphysical type stuff. Yeah, co-creation has really captured my attention over the last few months. Just the the mm-hmm. whole concept of like. There is some source of the phenomenon, but the like the form it takes on this plane has as much to do with 
the psyche of the experiencer yeah as it does absolutely. the source you know your perspective is going to be different yeah. from you know the person next to you no matter what yeah so yeah I, I definitely think that we're we have some sort of factor in in experiences like that yeah I, I especially think like that... uh, I was gonna, especially like alien alien encounters yes. and alien abductions I feel like nowadays it's it's becoming a little more like prevalent that there might be something psychological going along with alien abductions yeah so there's a there's a book called oh it's it's like something of the fourth kind abductions of the fourth kind encounters of the fourth kind yeah. something like that and there was a story in there about a woman that would have like fainting spells and she would claim that she was abducted by aliens but she was like in a car like on a on a highway with her husband or something like that when she claimed that she was abducted so it's it's something out of body definitely and it's something in your brain yeah i I tend to agree with that i think that explains how personal these experiences are for people you know like yeah i think the first thing that pointed to that for me was when i first really got into researching um ufo sightings and encounters so many people who had these seemingly innocuous sightings of just lights in the sky they would talk about them like it was like life-altering deep experiences which also kind of harkens to like the traditional near-death experience like there's a whole like there's an understood feeling and like mood that is set by the encounter itself yeah it's not spelled out it's just like an understanding right yeah i mean it's happening to you and you're experiencing it but it also there's just like a like a baseline understanding it's almost like in a dream like when you there's somebody in your dream and it doesn't look anything like the person it's supposed to be but But you you understand that it's supposed yeah so i almost i almost equate it to that where you just know yeah uh, you just know what what's happening well yeah in a way you just know what's happening um just from i'm lost here that's okay (laughs) i'm trying to figure out how to say this uh you just the experience if if in this line of thought you're co-creating it so you are aware of what's happening to you so when people try to tell you what you saw or what you experienced their their perspective is completely adjacent or you know it's it's completely on the other side yeah they're missing half of the information yeah i mean you're all all six of your, you know, all five, technically six of your senses, if you're counting your consciousness, yeah. is, is being affected, and you can't like, um, you can't recreate that with any scientific method or anything. Yeah. So, I, I definitely am more inclined to like believe experiences that people say, unless there's like obvious like tropes and stuff. Yeah. I am. Um... And I think that's like expressed in the smallest, the smallest reoccurring detail that I hear is like people who see, who spot UFOs, they often will say that they could, they knew, or they could tell that it could see, that it was looking at them as well. Mm -hmm. 
which is it seems uh, like a there, small detail, but that's that's a huge. There has there has to be something correlating with the use of light, like light information, like uh, between like I just said a few minutes ago, talking about like near death experiences, like the trope is you see the light at the end of the tunnel, yeah, lights in the sky, like there's some sort of there's some sort of uh, communication with light and like I don't know how we perceive it and how our body like takes it in and so, there's something to that I don't know how you would even like begin to like pull at that thread and uh, study that but that's it might just also the way that they... it might also just be the archetype of you know seeking yeah. light right right enlightenment like yeah. there's i don't know there's there's definitely like parallels and there's definitely um there's definitely like contextual like avenues that light has yeah so absolutely but yeah it's re- it's really interesting just like that kind of stuff um yeah it's, it's just it blows me away so yeah that's why i like this stuff i this my real interest in all this stuff is sociological it's philosophical it's like how does like what do these experiences what do all these legends and folklore say about the human experience yeah absolutely yeah. like yeah. yeah the human element to cryptid legends is and in all paranormal anything is very interesting like the jersey devil being like straight up just a smear campaign yeah from ben franklin like that's just I feel like that somehow that's more interesting than there actually being a bat or yeah. yep. bat child out there somewhere. I so. I loved doing the Jersey Devil because I got to like flex my history muscles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and anything that has like a history, like a like a new new world American history yep. like tinge to it is very interesting. Yeah, the Jersey Devil is the most American cryptid. It's, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's like it's right up there with From apple inception. pie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, me as well. I mean, what what more how how could you get more American than the fact that it most likely got started with like a bat that stowed away on a slave ship? Yeah, like between that That's and pretty then goddamn what's American. more American than than a feud between two rival almanacs yeah, exactly. saturating the market and trying to take back the business that the yep. other man stole from you. Like I yeah. just love it. Yep. Man, rival almanacs. <laughs> that is some hardcore colonialism right there. It really is. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, so before we um, do plugs and stuff at the end and wrap up, <laughs> Like, what have you been working on lately that you're psyched about? Um, Anything you can a lot talk of, about? Yeah, uh, I can talk about... I've done a couple things for Small Town Monsters recently. I did their Mothman Festival exclusive poster, um, which is also the back cover of August's Paranormality Magazine issue. Yes. So I Featured got artists. my copy from, uh, from Jack uh, in my email today, so that was awesome. Yeah, um, that's an awesome. Small piece, town by publishing, the way. thank you. Um, yeah, small town publishing just launched a couple weeks ago, and uh, Seth asked me to do a piece for the Kinderhook creature. Um, so I got to do. I started working on that in like May. Uh, so that's finally out. Um, 
I just released a small, a smaller set of my print package. So there's eight prints and they're half size. So uh, my original prints are like 12 by 18, but these are six by nine. And that just got picked up by Cryptid Crate. So uh, people subscribe to Cryptid Crate will uh, get some some prints in the next couple months. Um, Other than that, working on Fresno Nightcrawlers right now. I posted a little teaser with some concept sketches and my idea for it, which is possibly turning into a comic book right now. Um, I'm working with a writer and we have a pretty cool story uh, mapped out. So I'm going to start doing some panels and uh, interiors. and So hopefully uh, in the next few months, I'll have uh, some some images from that. Dude, you should, uh, speaking of Fresno Nightcrawlers, you should, especially if you're going to be working on a story around them, you should absolutely mm-hmm. read the article about them in, in the August Paranormality. Yeah, I saw it. I haven't been able to read any of the articles yet. Uh, I just perused through it and yeah. saw some of Sam's work, and I saw Aaron uh, interviewed Jeff Walmsley with Mothman Museum. So, yeah, yeah I saw that there's a, there's a Nightcrawler revisited section, so I definitely need to Dude, he, hop in there. I'll say he did more work on that story than anyone has done on it since it broke. Like, oh, that's awesome. there is okay. so much yeah. new stuff. He actually like got to sit down with the guy, which oh, no really? one has talked to him since it broke. Right? He and, he yeah. he got like actually shaken by that. Like yeah. he he had like almost a religious experience, yes. like because of that. It like really shook his worldview. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. I'm really interested. Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, also, the preliminary sketches that you dropped on your uh, Nightcrawlers is so fucking cool. Oh, it's, I love it. Um, I've been, it's I've my been favorite one since it. Sam's. Thank you, yeah. So Sam, uh, his like cephalopod design, I had some sketches where I was kind of doing the same thing and then he beat me to the punch. So yeah. I was like, back to square one, better start thinking of other ideas. And with that story... I love the fungi um, theory on those, that it's just like a, it's a fungus that has like a, it's not sentient, but it's like, it's technically alive. Yeah. Um, I love that idea, but then I started thinking about nightcrawlers in the literal sense or in the literal term. So uh, thinking of them and kind of blending the two uh, yeah. Nightcrawlers and like a like a sentient like hive mind type thing. Yeah. It just seems like, like a swarm it would be a lot of, of earthworms. Yeah, so especially turning it into a uh, like a comic story, um, the stuff that I already have sketched out in the storyline that uh, that's been written so far, it's going to be insane. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to feel awesome. like it's going to feel like writing a. Like a Tales from the Crypt or a Vault yeah. Horror type deal. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's kind of yours are kind of like what I always hoped was under Earthworm Jim's spacesuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a just a whole mess of yeah, it's like yeah. uh I've brought up goosebumps like three times now, but I remember uh go eat worms and um stay out of the basement when uh she pulls the covers and 
the uh, mattress is just covered in dirt and worms. Yeah. I remember that sticking with me. So it was only a matter of time before that like bleeds over into concept yeah. work. And but That's awesome. yeah, I try to. I I love like with cryptids and uh, these kinds of stories. I love trying to like figure out a way to make everything more real life and more like biological. Yeah. So the earthworm idea um, I, that I'm running with, I, I really liked. I think it would be. Well, also here, uh, I can't show people listening, obviously, but um, the reason I started doing it this way, too, is because I saw that earthworms will cling together in, like, a clump Yep. Um, in rainstorms. Yep. So there's, like, there's like images of roadways that have just, like, you know, two dozen yeah. clumps of yeah. writhing earthworms. So uh, once I started researching and collecting reference photos and stuff, I was like, that's it. I, there's no other way I can do this. Yeah. So, that's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that for sure. All right. So why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you like on, on everything. Um, my main platform that I use is uh, Instagram. I feel like that's the most like, Twitter seems like just a hellscape and I, yeah. I don't know how to navigate it. It's a cluster I'm fuck. too old to like jump in now. Yeah. So yeah. Instagram is uh, at Easton Hawk illustration. Uh, my Etsy store is Easton Hawk art. And my Facebook page is also Easton Hawk art. Um, I need to start getting back into like posting on Facebook, but that's also kind of turning into a hellscape. There's too many options to like yeah. running an event or like a, like a page on there. I can't stand it. So, and then, um, I post to Reddit pretty often. My username on there is you slash diaper feast, which okay. is a Tim and Eric reference. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. Um, I think that's it. All right. Awesome. Keep it, keep it pretty, pretty watered down. I got yeah, like pretty tight. that I regularly contribute to. All right, man. I thank you so much for doing this. This was super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing me on and let me talk about all this useless shit in my day to day life. <laughs> that's that's the best. It is. That's why that's why I love doing these conventions where all of a sudden I feel like a scholar with all this, you know, possibly fake shit that yeah. nobody wants to hear about at home. So Yep. Yeah, I really Same. appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the show. So and thank congratulations you. on uh, one year. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling it's there you will find bonus content behind the scenes we're just keeping up on our day-to-day and maybe some swag along the way it is our way to show thanks for your support and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible again that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling With that said, we want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials, at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. 
If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Buy a blanket. Buy a pillow. Anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And trust in the unknown. unknown.